Big Technology is launching a new premium edition with a new monthly podcast. We also take a look at the state of tech as the year draws to a close. And then we sort fact and fiction from AI and crypto. And maybe we throw in a little bit of Apple's big news coming up right after this. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool and nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. We have a special double feature episode today because we're running this both on the Big Technology feed and on the Tech Meme Ride Home feed, which means that none other than Brian McCullough is joining us live. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Alex. Uh, welcome, Tech Meme Ride Home listeners, to another weekend bonus episode with our buddy Alex. I think you've been on like five or six times at this point. Um, so that sounds right. It's always no, a pleasure to talk, Brian. Yeah, no, no intros needed uh, on my side, but. Given that um, this is news for your audience and uh, for mine too, what is this new big technology premium thing, Alex? Okay, thanks for teeing me up perfectly there. So (laughs) this is great. This is an opportunity for me to introduce it both to our listeners on Big Technology Podcast and to Tech Meme Right Home listeners. So um, Big Technology has been free for three years and the free edition will remain uh, after this, but I'm introducing this new premium edition that's just going to give more of what we've been doing in in new forms and new formats with new features and even a new podcast. So um, I'll start with the podcast first because I feel like it's, you know, pretty exciting for podcast listeners. It's called Big Tech War Stories. It's going to run once a month for big technology premium subscribers and it's going to be a conversation with people um, who are who have been in the weeds inside big tech companies and have either built a product that people love or one that was never released. And we're going to speak with them about what exactly happened. I think I have a clip from it that I can play here. This is with so our first episode, which is going to be running next week, is with Gaurav Nemada, who is the first product manager of, on Google's Lambda chatbot. What are some lessons learned from for Google looking in the rearview mirror? Like, how, how should Google change? They need to go back to the experimental roots, I feel. Like, over the years, Google has become more and more conservative about doing things. They care a lot about PR, like public relations. They care a lot about how their image is shown in the media. And I feel that, at least in my experience, that plagued so many projects inside of Google. It was like the PR was always top of mind for leaders. And on the other side, like OpenAI, like they don't give a shit about PR or like for the most part, they don't. So that's a bit of a clip of the new show. Um, I'm stoked about it. And again, coming next Monday. And then in addition to that, with this premium edition, we have this new thing called the panel, which you're on which mm-hmm. is we already have about 20 tech experts. Um, we're talking about analysts, VCs, journalists, and technologists that are going to weigh in on news as it's happening. So let's say the Silicon Valley Bank is in the middle of collapsing. Um, I'm going to email the panel. The panel will all, uh, or, or well, when it's relevant, email one to two sentence replies about how to think about the news and we'll be able to contextualize it for readers. And then finally, we have a new Amazon column uh, coming from Christy Coulter, who's a recent guest of the show. She spent... 11 years at Amazon and has like a really good insight into how the company works. So that's it. Basically big technology premium. You can find it on bigtechnology.com, and the launch special will still be going on. So that's 30% off the annual price, which is already a good amount off of the monthly price. So you can get an annual subscription for $90 and that's it. 
two two comments on this. Uh, first of all, thank you, Alex, for asking me to be involved in this panel thing. Uh, I actually saw Alex in person this weekend, and I was like, oh, you should have this person on the panel. You should have this person <laughs> on the panel. And everyone I said, uh, he was like, they're on. So <laughs> believe me when I say this is a blue ribbon panel, because everyone that I was suggesting to him, um, they have already agreed to be on the panel. So that's that's great. Um and then, uh, number two, I have a suggestion for the podcast. Um, years ago, I did an interview with one of the people on the team at Dig. If you know the history that, like, Dig was the th- big thing before Reddit, and they did a, a site redesign that destroyed Dig, and Reddit came to the fore. So that would be a sort of behind the scenes story. If I can, uh, I'll have to dig into my archives and see. Oh, who that, that would be great. Is. That would, that, yes, it, yes, it's please. a good story. Yes. Okay. That would be great. We'll see if we can make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, so just got it off the ground. We're recording on Tuesday. This show's going live on my feed Wednesday and then yours on the weekend. But this is this thing is fresh off fresh and hot off the presses. Uh, and I've, I've been like thinking about the right formula for many years. I want to be able to keep the free product for those who want, but also offer more for people who are interested in a premium subscription, something that can help them do their jobs better, you know, give themselves an edge in their career, give their companies an edge against the competition. I think that this sort of insight, insight, in terms of being able to read tech events as they happen and learn about how the best do it uh, is the best possible offering. And I'm really excited to roll it out today. Well, uh, everyone go check it out because, as you know, big technology is one of the best uh, sources out there for really in-depth sort of stuff in terms of analyzing uh, the tech landscape deeper than I can do in my uh, 15-minute show. However, and I'm going to grab the reins slightly because um, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you this week is because you are the big technology guy. And it's sort of that time of year when a young man's fancy turns to thoughts of, year-end recaps. Um, And so, this is me teeing into our first topic, which is, um, I wanted to ask you, seeing as how you follow closer than I do, um, all of the big tech platforms. This year started out with tech in turmoil, with layoffs, um, with, you know, some people questioning you know, the business models of something like was meta in trouble and stock down whatever percent it was or whatever. Um, I feel like it's not uh, that much in turmoil. So uh, if you'll allow me to pose the question to you, but then we can go back and forth on this. Um, what happened to big tech this year? I feel like they've recovered. Is that a, a, is that a, the correct sense or what happened? I mean, they've definitely recovered. And, mm. you know, you just have to look at Meta's stock price, right? right? Up 150% over the year to know that all that doomsaying towards the end of last year uh, was misplaced and that these companies were always already, sorry, they were always going to respond to the demands of the market. And boy, did they do it. So what you had is Mark Zuckerberg basically, you know, he came in flat footed, but then immediately realized that it was going to have to be a year of efficiency, as he put it. Right, big cuts and a focus more on uh, inventing versus maintaining. And I think you've seen that Meta has done the cost cutting. It's very tough for them, right? They had to cut a large percentage of their staff, but it also changed the culture internally, where they started, you know, started acting less like a big company and more like a company with some urgency. And you've seen that manifested with big moments where they've shipped, you know, their open source AI model, Llama. They've opened. They've shipped chatbots. This whole new uh, slew of purpose-built chatbots. 
uh, that you can now get in WhatsApp and Messenger. Honestly, like, you know, been among the biggest <laughs> skeptics of what this metaverse thing was going to be for consumers, but I just got a chance to try the Oculus 3, uh, Quest 3, and I thought it was very impressive. It, it has great pass-through, so you basically can wear it, walk around, and see everything going on in the room with you. And it's not quite where it needs to be. Obviously, it needs to be much thinner than what it looks like now, as opposed to these big goggles. But I mean, is it getting there? Absolutely, especially because Apple's bringing it forward. Um, and so, so I think that Meta is emblematic of the type of movement you've seen through the entire big tech uh, echelon, where there's been you know cuts that they had to make and they've made them, however painful they were, and then innovation. And I mean, AI, which we're going to talk about later has underpinned a lot of that. So uh, I attended a, a meta event uh, sometime in the summer, June or July, um, and they were talking about all the AI stuff they were going to bring into their ads products and things like that. But they constantly made the point that, like, we're still committed to the metaverse. Um, mm-hmm. is, it, is it just a, a maybe it's they they still are committed and they're still spending money on it but is it also a thing where it's like if we just don't shout it from the rooftops that keeps wall street happy like um it's not like they're walking away from it or doing a mea culpa saying well that was a that was a cul-de-sac um they're just not talking about the metaverse as you know forthrightly as they were say a year ago absolutely i mean don't you think that when they said year of efficiency i mean yeah. how much of wall street thought that meant not investing, you know, billions of dollars into the metaverse every year, not losing billions of dollars. That's actually not what happened. They didn't cut spend at all. They, in fact, increased spend on the metaverse. I mean, they they are not taking their foot off the gas pedal there, and they've just tried to trim elsewhere within the company. Um, and not only that, their their ad product has recovered nicely from Apple's uh, anti-tracking moves. So you put okay. it all together, and it is sort of. It's almost just, you know, business as usual in a way that the strategy hasn't changed. Maybe they've added more AI into it, um, but they're just trying to do it in a way that's, again, a way, you know, a method of building with more urgency and a slightly, although not dramatically, less people. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. As you know, I still run the first company I ever founded 25 years ago entirely on Shopify these days. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow the whole way. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is that you can take any business to the next level, even 25-year-old ones, but especially 25-day-old ones. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Love, love, love Yahoo Finance. Use it every day to research companies we talk about on the show. 
Heck, I used it constantly when I was writing the book to look at the historical performance of dot-com companies. But when I'm working on my own portfolio, it's also the autocomplete in my browser, yahoofinance.com. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. And when you use it for your personal investing tool, like I do, you can securely link your brokerage accounts to it for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all, you've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. Think of it as an observability dashboard, but for your finances. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Well, so that, uh, I was going to ask, again, like you go on the like compound and friends, like you're closer to like the stock market end of this or whatever. Was it ever a case that like in the early part of the year, were, 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 were like was EPS down for any of these companies where like were, were profits significantly hit and they've come back or was it more that they were being cautious in terms of like forecasting and also so then when they do cuts to especially personnel that looks better to the bottom line to Wall Street what i'm asking is were their businesses significantly hit you just mentioned meta's ad business recovering from the ATT thing were they hit and they've recovered, or is it just the vibe, it, which all of Wall Street is to a certain extent, where Wall Street likes the narrative better now? Part of both. I mean, there was a real hit, especially with Apple's anti-tracking moves. We're talking about a $10 billion loss coming in, or a contraction of revenue coming in, and in particular because Apple didn't let them track uh, what was going on. And so, uh, and so for, for Meta specifically, that has come back in the sense that, like, are we back to where we were before ATT? Not a hundred percent, but there's two things that two things that have happened. One is that people have taken their money uh, and they've brought it to Snapchat and they've brought it to Twitter and they brought it elsewhere. And then you know, even though they weren't getting the same returns that they were on Facebook, they've just been like, "Oh shucks, you know, the best place we have to put our money is Facebook." So they've actually like come back from that worldwide tour and be like, "All right, Facebook, you know, take it." Then Facebook has built a lot of technical tools that have enabled these advertisers to start to get maybe not back to where they were but to a point where they're pretty comfortable now spending money with this company. So you're at a point where you also had some pretty hard comps against COVID because people all, you know, every company that we're talking about in, in big tech just had massive uh, increases in revenue during COVID because they were basically the economy. So that tails off a little bit, but now, I mean, it's definitely evened out at this point and everything is pointing up for these companies. So if we have time, can I ask you for two other specific companies? We'll save uh, Google slash Alphabet for the AI conversation later. But you're talking about COVID times and cutting back um, the workforce. That's Amazon, right? Uh, Amazon was also dealing with the sort of the transition to a new regime. You know, Andy Jassy taking over. So uh, what's your take on Amazon's year this year? I mean, in, in some ways, good. Uh, they really were slow on the AI front. 
but they position themselves a lot better with their big investment in Anthropic, right? Already 1.25 billion in Anthropic, potentially up to 4 billion investment in Anthropic, which is like this counterweight to OpenAI. So now they have a research house similar to the way that Microsoft has a research house. And while doing this, they've sort of, and Matt Wood was uh, this VP from AWS was on the show a few months back talking about this, where they've kind of created AWS as this clearinghouse for AI models. So no matter what model you want to build, they're not going to favor necessarily the ones that are developed within Amazon or the ones that are developed within Anthropic. They have access to the builders and they're like, all right, builders, like come use our tools and build. So I think they're in good shape there. The one, you know, concern for Amazon is that AWS growth has really been slowing in a way that, you know, mm-hmm. you see Google, Google, I mean, Google Cloud, right? It's not anywhere mm-hmm. close, but it's starting to at least put put up some formidable competition. And there's still a shine around Azure, Microsoft's cloud offering. And so you put it all together and at Amazon, you know, you're 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 still dealing with the fallout of the pandemic, right? Because you overbuilt your infrastructure. You kind of were caught cloud uh, flat-footed on uh, AI, but you're starting to make up for that. And you came into this year and it was probably like an, oh my God, what are we going to do scenario? People talking about Jeff Bezos coming back. And now the ship seems to be riding there as well. And they're up about 40% on the year. So um, One thing that I have been hearing, which might be related to the AWS thing, I don't know if you've been hearing this too, but the, the idea that um, there are these new startups that have access to the NVIDIA chips that are creating sort of um, sort of new cloud offerings. Um, I've been hearing from a lot of people that like this could provide the opening for people to get a wedge against the traditional because essentially running a um, sort of a, a cloud instance or a you know a, a set of racks for doing AI stuff is different. You have to design it differently than how a traditional cloud service does. And so I think maybe that's some of the concerns around AWS is I've been hearing people say a bunch of these startups that now are getting multi-billion dollar valuations just because they have access to A100 chips. Um, If people get like uh, sort of um, acclimated to using these people to do their AI stuff, well, then it's easy to be like, well, here, we'll add on this cloud thing or whatever. Anyway, the point being, this might be an opportunity for people to... um, create uh, alternatives to AWS and the traditional cloud providers. Right. And don't you think it's a huge uh, opportunity for NVIDIA? I sure. mean, they are starting to license some of their computing well, in the and same way that Amazon uh, I mean, is. Today, they were talking about also getting to the GPUs, which is different. But NVIDIA is investing in all those, like Cohere, and what's the one yes. in Jersey or whatever. Right. Or maybe that's the one in Jersey. Anyway, the point being is that, yes, all those ones that are having these multi-billion dollar valuations, you're seeing that the lead investor is NVIDIA. So, um, yeah. And NVIDIA... Covering their bases. NVIDIA has an interest in uh, powering uh, cloud stuff. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, Don't you love the fact that, like, one of the more important companies in this space is in Jersey. It's like such a Jersey yes. thing. It's like, yes. yo, you need some chips. Come <laughs> <Jersey>. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that company because I, I you know, I, I think I did it the story a couple months ago. They just had a bunch of um, GPUs left over because they were uh, uh, in, experimenting with crypto. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, we're not doing crypto anymore, but we still have these. And everyone's like, please, please give me, give me. Um, there's a, there's plenty of startups right now that are, are, plowing that field, FYI. So, um, right. 
Maybe that's what Web three was all along. Where Web two, Web one was uh, read, Web Web two was write, and Web three was stockpile Nvidia chips and sell them for the AI boom. <laughs> hey, uh, I always say that the whole reason Web two happened was because it was all of the infrastructure left over from Web one, like all of the blow up of you know uh, global crossing and all those that left all the the dark fiber in the ground. Uh, real quick, last one that I want to do here: um, yeah. Apple's story this year is essentially just a global macro story that global growth slowed and they couldn't sell as many phones and that's it? Or is there any other larger story to the Apple story? Yeah, there's like a few angles. So like, yes, growth slowed. Um, The number two thing is that people, by and large, upgraded everything they needed during the pandemic, right? So you had a two-year super, super, super cycle. um, And then like people just don't need uh, to replace. So, and, and by the way, like, and this is obvious at this point, but an Apple, you know, an iPhone 12 or 13 is fine for five years, really. Uh, if you had the 10, you needed the 15. But if you have something 12, 13, you can probably, I mean, there's not a massive difference. So the compelling event to upgrade is no longer there in the same way that it was. Um, and then, I mean, honestly, like there is some some worry from China where you've, Mm. and this is something that has been overlooked, but I think is really important. We've talked about it in the show in the past, where the Chinese government said, if you're in public service in China, no iPhones. And not only is that a decent sized amount of the market there, but it's also a signal to people in China that says, hey, if you have national pride, don't use the iPhone. We make great phones here. You know, okay, we might be reading your data on them, but if you love China, use a Huawei. And now Huawei is the number one phone in China. So there's a lot of different um, currents riding against Apple. The comps to, to COVID definitely don't help, but we have like four straight quarters of revenue growth decline. And we're going to talk about their new laptops and, you know, towards the end of the show, but, um, but geez, you know, not only do they have revenue decline, but they have serious geopolitical risk. That's a rough spot to be in if you're Apple. Indeed. And um, in terms of like, like we said, you know, maybe everyone recognizes that they don't need a new phone as often as every two years. You had uh, Google acknowledging that with the Pixel. What is their, they're supporting out to eight years or something crazy like that now, but um, yeah, it's a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, you would imagine that some people will have to match at some point, but we'll see. Um, okay. That's my, that's my <laughs> trip around. Let me tell around. you, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, the thing, the real big story. So first of all, like, I think we know that these tech companies are, they're in good shape. And you mentioned the compound and friends. I think one of the things that Josh Brown, uh, who is the co-host of that show has talked about is that AI saved the market Mm. in 2023. I really think that's true. We're going to get into that in the next segment. But one thing that I I think is super important to touch on um, is to me the underrated, unheralded story of the year. And listeners of Big Technology Podcast probably know how I feel about this because we've talked so much about it, is that self-driving cars took a huge leap, mm. a tremendous leap, and are growing. Are they're, they're finally at the point where the driving is good enough that they are um, you know, able to operate functionally on lar- in large, large portions of cities 24-7. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have... Uh, Waymo CEO Takedra Mawakana on next week on Big Technology Podcast. And one of the things listeners are going to hear in that conversation is that Waymo since 2021 has gone from 50 square miles of operation within Phoenix, 
which is already a decent amount of size, to more than 200 square miles in Phoenix. Not only that, operating in San Francisco, testing in LA, and and we have crews testing on the freeways. So the speed and and, and success at which this wave is coming is is truly fascinating. And you know, while it's kind of interesting, like while we all talked about crypto. Um, AI was quietly the biggest story in tech. And now as maybe while we're all talking about AI, the rise of self-driving is quietly the biggest story in tech. To the degree, I mean, I know that obviously there's different ways to answer this, but um, I, I, I agree that it's a big story in, in terms of a technology that we were promised, 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 and it, it kept not coming. And, and I had the famous... Uh, Will we get self-driving by 2020, as everyone promised, and it never came true? Um, but is that a big tech story in the sense that, I mean, Waymo and Cruise could become big companies, but is that going to be, that's almost ancillary to tech in the same way that Uber, in a sense, is ancillary? Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, is this, when we tend to think of big tech in terms of, like, the platforms, it's like, well, Google can do X, Y, and Z, or why can't you also do a music service? Why can't you also do movies? And mm-hmm. is, is, I know that Waymo comes out of Alphabet, but is this, if it's a success, 10 years from now, is it a story of like, well, yes, um, I don't own a car anymore because I have a, a Waymo or a cruise subscription, but that's sort of walled off from the larger tech story? I think it's a great tech story. And I think that like we sometimes can judge the mm. the impact of tech in terms of the way that it rearranges our world. Right. And for, for better or worse, I think this is mostly a better situation. And, you know, despite the fact that everybody tags me when a cruise falls into a puddle of mm-hmm. cement in San Francisco, which like not great, but come on. Um, you know, we you know, anyway, we're going to talk about it more on Wednesday about all these these headlines about the cruise hitting a purse or someone being critically injured under a cruise. When it turns out it was a human driver that slammed into them and they just mm. landed under the cruise. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think that this could really reorient the way and not to get too deep into this because it's going to take a while. And these promises have been made and and delayed. Um, but it will reorient the way that our cities work. It will change, you know, you know, if you don't, if nobody owns these cars and you're just hailing them, then you right. don't really need space for parking. I think it will create a much better world and, and will probably be, I mean, I put it up there with iPhone, ChatGPT, and Waymo cars, the three most amazing experiences I've had with tech in my lifetime. You know, um, the other, I don't know if you've been uh, aware of this, but um, simultaneously to all of a sudden six months ago, oh, wait, there are way more uh, self-driving cars out there than I anticipated. Um, are you aware that like the drone delivery thing is actually becoming a reality too? And it's not necessarily Amazon, though. Apparently, they've they've made some more moves recently. But like the the FAA has officially like given the okay for like real actual drone delivery for stuff in the US. And so like, I feel like that's another one where it was a promise for the last decade that has never come true. But while everyone is looking elsewhere, I feel like um, drones are suddenly becoming closer to being a reality, sort of like self-driving cars are. That's pretty exciting. I'm pro drone. I like the Mm. idea. I mean, as long as you're not like flying your drone and looking into my window with the camera, like uh, I think that we really benefit from the ability for drones to deliver things. I mean, it's also good, I'd imagine, better for the environment than having a car drive around to do that. I think that drone uh, photography and footage is exceptional to watch. 
I've been, uh, when I was at Buzzfeed, I flew the drones and captured, uh, some wild footage inside, uh, some of the wildfire impacted areas in California. So, um, I didn't realize it was it was that close to being approved in terms of delivery, but they, are the, we the that first far official, away from seeing this stuff hit? Yeah, no, this is what I'm saying, is that the, the two stories rhyme to me in the same way that, like, the promise was self-driving and then it never came, never came, and now all of a sudden, like, a, a switch has been flipped, and that is that has been true. I think Walmart is, whoever's doing it with Walmart, I don't have any of my notes in front of me, um, is, is the furthest along. But even this week, I saw movement from Amazon Air, or whatever they call it, um, for them doing more than than they had been doing too. So, w- what if we look back on 2023 as the year that self driving and drone delivery uh, passed a threshold and started to get real? Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting, right? Because in the middle of this AI moment, the thing that everybody looks at is that uh, attention is all you need. Paper outside of Google, which is the transformer uh, model, and that was in 2017. And, you know, I mean, it it comes to a moment where there are these breakthroughs, they're quiet, and then people build on them. And the fact that these drivers have become generalizable and are able to apply the same stuff they know city to city, road to road is extremely underrated and I think extremely cool. So I know we're both in New York. It's going to take a while for this stuff to hit the streets in New York. Like, man, get a robot to drive on ice. It's not as easy. (laughs) I mean, humans can't do it either, but... um, but who knows? I'm now hopeful that we'll see the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm more hopeful than I, I was in 2020 when I declared my bet null and void because uh, I couldn't I couldn't take a, 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 a self-driving car into work or whatever. But um, um, Soon enough. Why can we take a quick break yeah. and then come back here and talk about AI, crypto, and Apple on the other side of this? Please. Lumen is the world's first handheld metabolic coach. It's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath. And on the app, it lets you know if you're burning fat or carbs and gives you tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, workouts, sleep, and even stress management. All you have to do is breathe into your Lumen first thing in the morning, and you'll know what's going on with your metabolism, whether you're burning mostly fats or carbs. Then, Lumen gives you a personalized nutrition plan for that day based on your measurements. You can also breathe into it before and after workouts and meals so you know exactly what's going on in your body in real time, and Lumen will give you tips to keep you on top of your health game. My wife and I are currently on parallel get healthier, get thinner regimens and have found Lumen incredibly useful as a guide because your metabolism is at the center of everything your body does. Optimal metabolic health translates into a bunch of benefits, including easier weight management, improved energy levels, better fitness results, better sleep, etc. So if you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use RIDE to get $100 off your Lumen. That's L-U-M-E-N dot M-E and use RIDE at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide. 
finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. All right, we're here on Big Technology Podcast with Brian McCullough of the Ride Home Podcast. We're also on the Ride Home Podcast. It's pretty cool. Tech Meme Ride Home Podcast, which is uh, which is awesome and great daily update on what's going on in the tech world and also talking about premium edition of big technology i'll throw out the url one more one more time it's bigtechnology.com if you go to the launch post which is going to be the second uh, or first or second from the top big technology is going paid with deeper coverage and new features you can get a uh, 90 dollars for the year subscription as opposed to our typical 15 dollars a month or 120 for the year deal all right we'll be back right after this and we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Brian McCullough, host of the Tech Meme Ride Home Podcast, CEO of Ride Home Media. Uh, Brian, let's talk about and and actually, you know, now we're going through your titles. You're also a partner in the Ride Home Fund, That's which right. is focused all about. Uh, wait, is it the Ride Home Fund? Well, or there's new, there is new fund that you came. There on is a Ride Home Fund, and then there's a Ride mm-hmm. Home AI Fund. Um, right. So there's two flavors: <laughs> original flavor and AI flavor. So AI flavors. So yep. let me just read. So I, you know, obviously we've been we've been in a year of exceptional promise and lots of questions now about AI, right? I think that people have. We'll talk about crypto in the next segment, but people have a little bit of uh, maybe uh, PTSD from the crypto movement, where a lot of people said this could change it all, and it didn't change at all, uh, and or at least yet, and uh, they were like, okay, well. Now we're hearing the same thing about artificial intelligence. And yeah, I can chat with ChatGPT, but is that really going to amount to a new web? Let me read to you um, something from Tanya Dua's uh, newsletter on LinkedIn. And it's talking about whether AI has been overhyped. This is a quote that she puts in from uh, Matt Turk from uh, Firstmark. You started to see the cracks in the whole generative AI hype train in the past few months. It's a clear case of Amara's law where people have overestimated what a specific technology can do in the short term and underestimated what it can do in the long term. Brian, where do you stand on that? Um, that we're over we're underestimating what it can do in the long term. Listen, any any technology wave, there's you know the 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 curve of you know trough of delusion. You know it, anything that gets hyped at first, the first couple years, um, there's a lot of things that will not work. Um, by the way, chat GPT is not even a, a year old yet, right? So Crazy. like we're so we we thought of this year as like the big AI year, but it's the equivalent of if I if you and I were having a conversation about e-commerce on the World Wide Web at the end of 1994. Right. So this before Google or Amazon or anything, like the reason that I say that in the long term we're underestimating it, I'm not even one of these people necessarily that believes true artificial intelligence like self-aware computers are, you know, maybe might not even be here in our lifetime. But the thing that I think that this represents is um, the true promise of computing. And that's why I say that this is underestimated. 
What I believe, and the reason why I raised a fund to go after this stuff is, I believe that what the simplest way to put it is what I think is being promised right now is the computer from Star Trek The Next Generation, where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of computing has been about sort of abstracting away the complexity of making a computer work. There once was the command line, and you basically had to know how to code to make a computer work. Then came the GUI, and so now it's easier. You click on icons or whatever, but you still have file menus and pull-down menus. On Star Trek The Next Generation, Picard just says, you know, computer do X, Y, or Z, computer enhance, computer, you know, assess the the makeup of that star or whatever. And you don't have to know all of the things that go behind it to get the computer to work to you for you. When computers first came out after World War II, they called them electronic brains. Because again, we've always thought of robots and computing primarily as humans in the same way. Well, this is a, this is a, a tool that will do my work for me. I think that that the fact that we have spent at least the last 50 years bringing computers into our lives, but they were still difficult tools that you had to master. If we can abstract away all of the things that are complex about computing and just say, computer, book me the flight. Computer, uh, respond to Alex and tell him I can record the show at two today instead of four. Like, then essentially, this is a different paradigm where we don't necessarily have to look at screens. I'm not saying it's all going to be voice commanded or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I think that we're underestimating the ability of the true promise of computing to be manifest within our lives, normal people's lives, within less than five years. This doesn't even get into how it could transform medicine, um, you know, change how different professions work and things like that. I think that we're underestimating the fact that the true promise of computing as a tool that normal people use and rely on in their everyday lives to make it better is it's here. It's now it's, it's a paradigm shift that I've been waiting for my whole life. And so let's talk about, I mean, he talks about how it's overestimated in the short term. Are we going to go through a year or two where like people are going to be like, where's the cream filling on this stuff? Like, yeah, hundred percent, which is, which is scary to be investing in a, in a space yeah, like that. And ask about that. Yeah. But also at the same time, um, if you, if you gave me the choice of investing in a sort of greenfield, wide open, new, this is a new paradigm, I would take that all day long. Like there are other, you know, investing in SaaS companies for the last decade at least has almost been a spreadsheet like thing. Like you see how mm-hmm. much, how much users grow and like sort of how the revenue grows. You can plot it on a graph and see like, okay, here's the valuation of this thing. <clears throat> it's more interesting to me to invest in a space where it's like, Think of how crazy it was that the the mobile phone came around and the things that got disrupted were taxis and and hotel rentals, right? Like that's there's no way that you can plot for that. Um, it, it's more interesting to me to invest in a space that it's greenfield. Having said that, uh, Chris and I started the fund uh, just at the beginning of the summer. By the way, it's still open. If anyone are, is interested in um, investing in the fund, uh, you can find out at ridehomefund.com. Um, our, our thesis has been to go after the productization of stuff. So, like, what what is the Airbnb or the Uber of this paradigm shift? Um, I would say, by our definition, we've only made one of those types of investments. And all of the other investments right now have sort of been infrastructure plays, by which I mean, 
who is creating the scaffolding around what this new level of compute is. Um, we've kicked the tires on dozens and dozens of these products, you know, AI for architecture, AI for law or whatever, and they don't seem defensible. Um, right. And so I will tell you, if, if I'm being quite honest, um, we haven't found the Airbnb of this moment yet. What we are investing in is, hey, if you're Ford or American Airlines and you're, you want to deploy a chatbot or a, a large language model, you've got to be able to do it safely. Or if you're on Wall Street, you've got to make sure that your proprietary data is secure. So that's what I mean by infrastructure. There's a lot of plays mm. right now around allowing this moment to flourish. And um, so again, that's kind of like investing in 1994. Like if you invested right. in, in every website at the time, you might not have done well, but if you invested in the underlying tech, you might have done You did well. great. Okay, so I have a question for you about that. Uh, what do you think about, and I'm writing about this this week, so uh, for listeners, if you're a journalist, don't take this idea. But uh, what do you think about this emerging fight between Facebook and OpenAI? I mean, you have okay. OpenAI, super open. No, sorry, not, no, open in the name, pretty closed in the technology. Yes. You have Meta uh, pumping out these open source algorithms. By the way, like not signing on to any of these, we need to stop AI progress while OpenAI seems to want to shut others out of it. Yes. And then you have OpenAI with this big, impressive, generalizable bot, ChatGPT, and you have Meta in this uh, moment with all these personal, more, more specific use case style bots um, that they're releasing. Talk, talk me through this yes. fight. Like how, and, and is it like, it's kind of like an underrated conflict point between the so, two, don't you think? Alex, if it's almost like you and I are more professional and more organized and we had thought <laughs> about, because I thought of this as a topic, but we never, <laughs> we didn't coordinate on this, but I'm glad you brought it up because I have some serious thoughts on this. Here's All what right. you got to understand. In a sense, open AI is already the incumbent. Okay. Because if, if you think of these large language models as a new sort of, as I'm saying, computing paradigm, the the key behind them is the secret sauce of what the data is trained on, what the large language models are trained on. But also, the key is is what they call like temperature. And basically, imagine you have to, you, you, you train a large language model and you're like, well, it's, it doesn't work that well, so turn this knob three points and, and slide that dial 70% or whatever. It's fine-tuning, okay? That's the secret sauce for, for making things work. And, and you can, it's not just for accuracy, but it's also for making it cheaper and, and, and stuff like that. Okay, so OpenAI, in previous models, they released what the models were trained on and like how the, the, the inputs worked and how, like I'm saying, they fiddled with the knobs and the dials to, to get the secret sauce. They're not doing that anymore. Um, and so the reason is, is essentially because they had the first big win on this, right? And so if you're a meta or someone coming from behind, OpenAI or ChatGPT is the, the fastest um, product to uh, uh, become successful of all time. What, it, 100 million users until threads. Until I threads. Yeah, 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 I can't yeah. count out threads. But, but uh, okay. well, who knows? Maybe they're both lost users, but sorry, so, go ahead. So what you have to understand is that anyone else now is like, well, there's a scenario where the biggest model will always win because it's the, we've got the most data behind it. It's the best trained. And so either everyone can just follow in OpenAI's wake and be like, ours is just as good. It's sort of like a Google versus uh, Bing thing. 
or they have to differentiate, and not just in the market, but in terms of developers. So Meta does what Google always used to do, uh, which was open source anything that they did. Um, and the reason that they're doing that is there's a scenario where if you can let a thousand flowers bloom and a thousand different, uh, Chris and I, I think talked about this on your show, like the, the AI varietals thing. Like if you, Mm -hmm. if you have a thousand different models and this one is trained slightly differently than that one, it gets different outputs. Like that's the, the sort of way that you can differentiate meta or has, has obviously an incentive to do that because, um, OpenAI got ahead of them. You could argue that Google will have similar incentives. But one of the, I was at an AI conference two weeks ago, and it was all discussion about open source. And the, the, let, me, let me give you the negatives about open source first, is people are concerned about, well, you know, you throw a large language model out there that anyone can get off of GitHub or Hugging Face or whatever, and then, you know, terrorists can use it to do bad things. Um, uh, people can use it to create misinformation or X, Y, and Z. But the, the sense is, is that the open source stuff is we're never going to be able to innovate and create the, the Airbnb of this moment if the, the actual models are behind this firewall of OpenAI and they don't tell you how it works. Because then all you're left with is a scenario where people can build businesses that are just thin wrappers based off of OpenAI APIs. Okay, so if people are excited about this moment and they want to grab hold of the the future of it, they feel like they need they need it to be open source so that they can own the models. Okay, and one of the things that I said to a lot of the startups that I talked to at this conference is, you have to understand that not only does Meta want this to work that way, the VC class of which, obviously, I'm a part, wants it to work this way too because. That's again. If you're the biggest VC firms in the world, your Sequoias or or your Andreessen Horowitzes or whomever, even if they're already invested in OpenAI, they need an ecosystem to grow up around this stuff. Otherwise, again, OpenAI or just the biggest model wins. And so, I said to a, a lot of the startups that I met there, is I'm glad that everybody is um, exploring open source for this technology, but. If you're being pushed to do it, keep in mind that the incentives by the people that are pushing you to do it are their own. Meta wants to unseat OpenAI. The VC class wants to create a bunch of startups Mm -hmm. that will be the next OpenAI. So I think that people are excited about open source being the, 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 the future of AI, but I would caution a lot of people to understand why a lot of people are shouting that right now. Well, let's okay. So let's go then one level deeper. Why does okay. Meta want to unseat OpenAI, in your opinion? I mean, everybody's going to want to, in the sense that if you believe, like I do, that this is a this is a new compute paradigm, in the sense of how you're going to interact with compute, that works for um, what is what does Meta do? Their social network, essentially. I mean, really, their business is selling ads, but you can throw AI into that. But so. Meta needs to control the fact that what if five years from now, social networks are really, maybe you don't talk to your friends as much as you talk to your favorite bot, that you've maybe created their personality, you've trained it on everything that you've got on your phone or your computer, and so it knows you, and so the bot becomes your friend? Or what if five years from now, social networking is all of our bots interacting with each other on social media or in VR or in AR? 
Meta does not want to be in a position where the only way they can do that with a high degree of, of accuracy and efficacy is to have to ping somebody else's APIs. Because again, they're, they'll be in the mm-hmm. position that they have been with, with like the iPhone and Android all these years is they don't own the platform that their service fundamentally sits on. That's why Meta needs it. Um, but also, uh, one of the things that I've said on my show is that, you know, Meta's looking at what OpenAI is doing and is thinking, how did OpenAI create these products? They trained it on the internet. They trained it on users' content. Who has more user content than Meta from their mm. family of apps? There is a scenario where within two years, Meta has the best LLM because it has access to more. Meta will shut off OpenAI's ability to be trained. Like you're already seeing Reddit shut off uh, OpenAI from training on, on their content. Like who's in a better position to be the, 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 the throner of OpenAI than Meta is? They've, they've, they've got the PhDs, they've got the science, they've got the patents, and they have the content that you can train this, this next generation right. of technology on. I think there's any level of um, envy in terms of how Zuckerberg uh, feels about Sam Altman? Zuckerberg, to my sense of him, has envy for anybody that... I mean, Bill Gates had this too. Anybody that's successful in a field that he thinks he could be successful in. Yeah, he's like, why not me? Um, but I also think that um, he's in a better position now because, uh, you know, the, the, the phrase is, is that the leaders often end up with a bunch of arrows in their back. Um, because the two, the two companies that are best positioned in my mind to challenge OpenAI are Meta and Google. I mean, Google created the technology that allows the current attention-based uh, generative AI, uh, transformer-based AI to, to, to happen. Um, but f- Facebook has been had a decade of the best AI minds under, under their roof as well. And then, like I said, mm-hmm. they have the content that they can, they can train this stuff on. So um, if, if someone's going to dethrone, if OpenAI is an also-ran within three years, I bet it'll be Meta, I, my money would be on Meta that would dethrone them, and then maybe Google slash Alphabet. Oh, interesting. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it, and it's impossible for you to forget, and do it for a hundred different sites, and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1,000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at 1Password.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to 1Password.com slash ride. 
With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? That's easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So, get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's just do, uh, um, let's go lightning round through our next two topics, crypto and Apple, uh, Apple's new new launch event. Uh, one of the things that you wrote to me while we were talking, discussing about what we are going to talk is, is wither crypto. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it seems pretty obvious. I mean, crypto is... Is, is disgraced in many now, ways. Listen, and maybe there's going to be something emerge from the rubble. I have um, to point out that today on October 24th, Bitcoin just surged to $35,000 a coin. No. You didn't know that? Yes, no, because apparently um, everyone believes that the first Bitcoin ETF is is uh, about to be announced. Um, so yeah, for the it, Bitcoin hit a high, the highest it's been um, in 18 months. Um, now, Bit- you can make the argument that Bitcoin is almost a separate story than the larger crypto ecosystem. I don't know that Solana has come back to its highs of 18 months ago or whatever, or, or, or Ethereum. But um, so having said that, and so if we look like idiots, if you're listening to this three months from now, because crypto all of a sudden is $100,000 a coin or uh, Bitcoin is, um, what we're talking about is Two years ago, when we were on like the Twitter spaces and the clubhouse rooms or whatever, we were all talking about crypto and NFTs and all the Web3 goodness and stuff. And I think that you're alluding to this, the sense that I get as well, which is like the energy has gone out of that. There's still the same people that are in the space. I'm not saying they've evaporated, but the overall energy... Well, some of them are in jail. That <laughs> That's true. Uh do you agree with me that you feel like that the energy or at least the chatter that was there around crypto um, this year sort of dimmed like it? we felt like it was starting to do at the beginning of the year? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about pandemic, like zero interest rate crypto versus now, like that was a fully inflated balloon. And this is a sad piece of bursted rubber. Well, let me let me let me again caveat this by saying if you think Alex and I are just talking about price. That's not what we're talking about. Because, again, two years ago, three years ago, there were new ideas. And as much as people did and still do laugh at things like NFTs or, um, you know, fintech around, like, again, the things that blew up and people went to jail for, which is like all of these crypto lending things that were, you know, giving you 18% returns and turned out to be Ponzi schemes or whatever. But there was a period of time where there was this flowering of a ton of new ideas. Um, and I don't see like a new idea around 
lending or um, you know um, uh, putting putting your uh, mortgage on the on the blockchain and stuff like that. Like there was a time when yeah. that was every day, and like I don't hear that now. Maybe I'm not listening in the right spaces. Um, That's but. because people like their houses and they don't want to lose them. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I feel. I, I guess I, I'm I'm just getting out of these SBF uh, trial mm. uh, hearings and. I'm feeling salty. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, all right. I, I get it. Um, and, and, and one of the things is, is that, um, the, the people that used to yell at me on my show when I would do two stories or three stories of crypto in a day. And they're like, what is this? The crypto ride home. And I was like, listen, <laughs> the, the, it was for a time, the biggest story in tech. No doubt. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and I mean, I can go entire weeks without mentioning a crypto story now. So to the degree that, mm-hmm. that Alex, or I are a barometer of this sort of stuff for the broader tech thing. I, I think that, yeah, right now it's a, it's another lull. I mean, maybe it'll come back uh, yeah, for all we know. I don't right discount the, the idea that blockchain technology might end up being, I mean, it is being used in many different places and there's going to be some innovation that comes out of it, but whether it reinvents the web uh, or reinvents the way that we do things, it seems questionable at best. Okay. Last, last story. Apple just announced, or if you're listening on Saturday, earlier this week announced, they have a new event happening Halloween Eve called Scary Fast. And the idea is that they're going to announce uh, new Macs. And um, Mac has been one of those products that have been troubled for them. I'm curious, Do you, speaking of things that used to be exciting and now are seemingly not. Do you think there's going to be any buzz at all? I mean, it's interesting okay. that they're even announcing it's like seven days before before this event well, happens. Also, it's interesting. They've uh, we uh, I I you know work with the editors at TechMeme, and we were trying to look. I, they've never done the the events at five p.m. on Monday. They usually do Tuesday events. They never do events in the evening that we can we couldn't find at least in the history of TechMeme when they had done a, a five p.m. Eastern time at night event. Um, and then you're saying Max, what we've been speculating in the Slack is is scary fast means that we think that there it's gonna be about the M3 chip. Mm. Because if you think about it, even if they were just gonna upgrade, even if they were gonna upgrade the the Mac Pro line or whatever, and the rumors initially were, oh, they're gonna upgrade the iMac line because the iMac line uh as it exists right now is two and a half years old, I think. They could do that just by doing a press release and like, you know, uh updating the store. The fact that they're doing a special event at a special time and it's called Scary Fast says to me that they are excited to tell us about the M3 and they must have something that they think is significant to tell us about how those chips perform. Now, they'll probably also announce putting them into new Macs as well. But I think that what we're going to see, and this is claim chowder for, you know, <laughs> if you listen to this after Monday, I think it's it's all about the M3. Well, I would be stoked for that. I mean, even though that the juice has come out of these events a little bit, I'm on like a five-year-old desktop at this point, and com- having that compared to the Apple, uh, the MacBook Pro with the M2 chip, it's just, it feels so slow. Like, I have a great setup with the desktop, and I just find myself wanting to work on the laptop all the time. So, I don't know, man, if this is what's coming down, then... I guess sign me up for these new machines. M3, here we go, baby. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote from our resident Mac expert in t- inside the Tech Meme Slack. I won't name him, however. Um, 
Uh, I don't think they'd have a weird event time like this if there were just big chassis form factor changes. It also feels weird if it's just M3 refreshes across the board. So I really don't know what to expect, but something tells me either it's something bigger than those two things or those two things combined will be bigger than what we're all expecting. Scare me, Tim Cook. (laughs) Scare me. I'm ready for it. All right, Brian, thank you so much for the time. This was great. Always great to speak with you. Thank you, Alex, and um, congratulations on Big Technology Premium. Everyone go check it out. Um, If you want to see my uh, immediate takes on the big news uh, in the the roundtable, you got to subscribe to Big Technology Premium. Yeah, thanks again for being a part of the panel. Again, it's bigtechnology.com. You can get it there, 30% off, no, 25% off for our launch special. It's a great deal. I hope you go check it out. And uh, and if you're not on the free list, then try the free list and see if you want to upgrade. Again, we'll have a story about this meta open AI fight up there on Friday. So um, also one last thing to our listeners. If you don't subscribe to Tech Meme Ride Home Now, uh, I recommend it. It's a great listen. Gets you up to date on everything going on in the tech world every day. Hosted by none other than Brian. So Me. highly recommend Thank you, Thank you Alex. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Big Technology listeners. Thank you, Tech Meme Ride Home listeners. Thank you, LinkedIn, for having me as part of your podcast network. Thanks to everybody who's willing to go give this Big Technology Premium a try. And uh, and uh, again, it's a pleasure bringing you this show. Stay tuned. Friday, Ranjan Roy will be on. We're going to talk about the latest in tech, especially tech earnings this week. Big week of earnings. I'm preparing to go on CNBC to talk about Amazon and others on Thursday. So we'll break that down. And then next Wednesday, an interview with Takidra Mawakana, the co-CEO of Waymo, more self-driving car talk, Uh, plenty of new details, really fun conversation. Hope you stay tuned for that. And we will see you next time on Big Technology Podcast. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. In 2023, just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today, Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cybercriminals? 
That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. Bienvenue à la maison des mêmes technologiques pour ce jeudi 26 octobre 2023. Je suis Brian McCullough. Aujourd'hui, les bénéfices de Meta d'hier, Apple, semblent planifier une refonte complète de la gamme AirPod. Spotify prévoit des changements majeurs dans sa façon de gérer les royalties. X déploie des appels vidéo et audio. Et un regard sur comment ces nouveaux contrôles gestuels fonctionnent sur l'Apple Watch. Voici ce que vous avez manqué aujourd'hui dans le monde de la technologie. Hier après-midi, Meta a annoncé que les revenus du troisième trimestre étaient en hausse de 23 par rapport à l'année précédente. Le bénéfice net a augmenté de 164 par rapport à l'année précédente pour atteindre 34,15 milliards de dollars à 11,58 milliards de dollars. Et le nombre quotidien de personnes actives sur la famille d'applications a augmenté de 7 à 3,14 milliards de personnes au moins pour septembre de 2023. Les investisseurs semblent avoir des avis partagés à ce sujet. Les actions de Meta ont légèrement baissé dans les échanges avant bourse ce matin. Peut-être parce que ce petit détail doit être mentionné, les laboratoires de réalité de Meta, où se trouve tout le travail de VR et de Metaverse, signalent un chiffre d'affaires du Détroit en baisse de 26 à 210 millions de dollars contre presque 300 millions, ce qui était estimé. Les pertes opérationnelles ont augmenté de 2 pour atteindre 3,74 milliards de dollars contre une estimation de 3,9 milliards de dollars. Alors, même si Zuck ne parle plus constamment du Metaverse, Meta investit toujours lourdement là-bas. Un autre un petit morceau. Lors de l'appel conférence, Mark Zuckerberg a dit que Threads a atteint station juste en dessous de 100 millions d'utilisateurs mensuels depuis que Instagram a lancé l'application en début juillet, Stands of Verge. J'ai pensé pendant longtemps qu'il devrait y avoir une application de conversation publique d'un milliard de personnes qui soit un peu plus positive, a déclaré Zuckerberg lors de l'appel de mercredi. Je pense que si nous continuons ainsi pendant quelques années de plus, alors je pense que nous avons de bonnes chances de réaliser notre vision là-bas. La directrice financière de Meta, Susan Lee, a également exprimé un certain optimisme, citation. Trade reste également une opportunité à long terme attrayante et nous sommes enthousiastes à l'idée de capitaliser sur le fort élan du produit que nous avons pour l'année prochaine, a-t-elle dit lors de l'appel. Dans un post-thread du mercredi, le chef d'Instagram, Adam Mosseri, a déclaré, je cite, « J'espère que nous pourrons soutenir l'Europe. Les progrès précoces de Fadeverse, de meilleures intégrations d'Instagram et les tendances des prochains mois. Dans son rapport de résultats du troisième trimestre, Meta a déclaré avoir réalisé un chiffre d'affaires de 34 milliards de dollars en hausse de 23 par rapport au même trimestre de l'année dernière. Cependant, il brûle toujours de l'argent avec sa division Reality Labs. L'entreprise prévoit que ses pertes d'exploitation augmenteront de manière significative d'une année sur l'autre. Les sources de Mark Gurman disent qu'Apple prévoit de refondre complètement sa gamme d'AirPods, libérant AirPods Max et deux AirPods de quatrième génération redessinés avec USB-C en 2024 et AirPods Pro avec une nouvelle puce et un nouveau design en 2025. Stan Bloomberg. 
Des changements comprendront une version remaniée des AirPods d'entrée de gamme d'Apple en 2024 et un nouveau modèle Pro l'année suivante, selon des personnes familières avec le plan. L'entreprise met à jour la conception des écouteurs du produit, l'apparence des étuis et la qualité audio. La nouvelle version des écouteurs AirPod Max sortira également en 2024. On déclaré des personnes qui ont demandé à ne pas être identifiées car l'information est privée. La troisième génération d'AirPod ne s'est pas particulièrement bien vendue. Pour Apple, beaucoup d'acheteurs préfèrent soit économiser de l'argent et acheter la version de deuxième génération ou ils optent pour le modèle haut de gamme qui comprend une annulation de bruit. Le produit de milieu de gamme n'offre pas beaucoup plus que le modèle à 129 donc certains consommateurs ne voient pas de raison de payer les 40 supplémentaires. Avec cela à l'esprit, Apple prévoit de supprimer les AirPods de deuxième et troisième génération plus tard l'année prochaine, selon les personnes familiarisées avec le sujet. Remplacé par deux AirPods de quatrième génération dont le prix est similaire aux versions actuelles, mais sont plus différenciés. Les deux modèles présenteront un nouveau design qui ressemble à un mélange des AirPods de troisième génération et du modèle Pro. Ils auront toutes les deux de courtes tiges, la partie qui dépasse de l'oreille d'un utilisateur. Apple différenciera les deux options en incluant la réduction de bruit dans la version haut de gamme. Ce modèle recevra également une mise à jour du boîtier de charge qui comprend des haut-parleurs pour trouver mes alertes correspondant aux actuels AirPods Pro. Ces alertes facilitent la recherche de leur étui par les utilisateurs lorsqu'il est perdu. Les deux nouveaux modèles d'entrée de gamme offriront un meilleur ajustement, mais il est peu probable que l'un ou l'autre inclue des embouts de remplacement comme les AirPods Pro. La quatrième génération d'AirPods passera également à l'USB-C pour leurs étuis de charge, poursuivant un changement qui a commencé avec les AirPods Pro. L'Allemagne a supprimé la foudre de ses iPhones cette année, dans le cadre d'un effort pour se conformer aux réglementations de l'Union européenne, et ses accessoires suivent le mouvement. Apple prévoit une mise à jour des AirPods Max vers la fin de l'année prochaine qui change également son port de charge en USB-C. Les écouteurs viendront dans de nouvelles couleurs, mais ne verront pas beaucoup d'autres changements. Les AirPods Pro, quant à eux, devraient bénéficier d'un nouveau design et d'une nouvelle puce en 2025, et la société travaille sur des fonctionnalités de santé pour cet appareil lié à l'audition. Tiens à noter rapidement qu'Apple a également augmenté le prix mensuel aux États-Unis du Apple TV Plus de 6,99 par mois à 9,99 aussi. News Plus passe de 9,99 par mois à 12,99 Arcade passe de 4,99 par mois à 6,99 Et Apple a gagné. De 1695 à 1995, c'est en Mac Rumor. Les augmentations de prix prennent effet immédiatement pour les nouveaux abonnés et dans 30 jours à partir d'aujourd'hui pour les abonnés existants à leur prochaine date de renouvellement après cette période de grâce. Apple devrait envoyer des emails aux abonnés existants pour les informer des changements au fil du temps, comme elle l'a fait suite aux augmentations de prix de certains services l'année dernière. Aux États-Unis, ce sont les premières augmentations de prix jamais réalisées pour Apple Arcade et Apple News Plus depuis le lancement des services en novembre 2019, alors que Apple TV Plus a connu sa première augmentation de prix, passant de 4,99 par mois à 6,99 par mois en octobre 2022. Dans une déclaration partagée avec MacRumors, Apple s'est déclaré, c'est une station axée sur la fourniture des meilleures expériences possibles pour nos clients, en ajoutant constamment du contenu de divertissement de haute qualité et des fonctionnalités innovantes à nos services. Il n'y a pas d'augmentation de prix pour Apple Music et Apple Fitness Plus aujourd'hui. Des sources indiquent que Spotify prévoit des changements majeurs à son modèle de redevance pour le premier trimestre de l'année prochaine, y compris un nouveau seuil de flux annuel minimum avant qu'une piste ne commence à générer des redevances. C'est entre le monde des affaires musicales. Spotify a discuté des détails de son plan pour le nouveau modèle de royalties avec divers détenteurs de droits musicaux ces dernières semaines. 
Des sources impliquées dans ces discussions ont maintenant confirmé à MB Blu-ray bien que Spotify continue avec son système de redevance ProRata, c'est-à-dire StreamShare, il prévoit de faire trois changements majeurs spécifiques à son modèle. Comme le dit une source, ma Spotify prévoit de mettre en œuvre ces changements dans une tentative de, je cite, Lutter contre trois drains sur le pool de royalties tout s'empêchant actuellement l'argent d'atteindre les artistes en activité. MBW a confirmé qu'à partir du premier trimestre 2024, chaque piste sur Spotify, dans le cadre des nouveaux plans du DSP, devra atteindre un minimum de streams annuels avant de commencer à générer des royalties. Nos sources n'étaient pas disposées à préciser le nombre exact de streams qui informeront ce seuil, mais une source impliquée dans des discussions récentes nous a dit que le but est de démonétiser une population de titres qui aujourd'hui gagnent en moyenne moins de 0,05 par mois. Quelques calculs économiques, c'est à la va-vite. Des sources industrielles suggèrent que chaque lecture sur Spotify aux États-Unis en termes de royalty de musique enregistrée génère actuellement environ 1,5 milliard de dollars, 0,003 américains par mois. Cela suggérerait que pour que ces morceaux génèrent 5 centimes par mois en droit d'auteur, ils auraient besoin de générer 17 lectures par mois ou environ 200 lectures par an. Spotify dit que les morceaux qui représentent actuellement 99,5% des parts de streams continueraient à monétiser après ces changements confirmés par une source bien placée. Alors pourquoi Spotify cible-t-il spécifiquement une portion relativement minime de pistes sur son service qui sont très peu populaires et génèrent très peu de revenus parce qu'on parle d'une industrie où 100 000 pistes ou plus sont téléchargées quotidiennement sur les plateformes de streaming. Un montant d'argent versé à ces pistes cumulativement représente une somme substantielle. En somme, tant les pistes que Spotify cible ici génèrent des royalties qui s'élèvent à des dizaines de millions de dollars par an et ce chiffre ne fait qu'augmenter, a déclaré une source à MBAA. L'année prochaine, sans prendre cette mesure, Spotify pense qu'ils auraient généré environ 40 millions de dollars. Avertissement que X a commencé à déployer des appels audio et vidéo à certains utilisateurs avec des options pour sélectionner avec qui vous êtes à l'aise de l'utiliser. Désactivez complètement la fonction. Je dis avertissement parce que vous voudrez peut-être vérifier qu'elle est éteinte si vous ne voulez pas l'utiliser. Citant The Verge. Plusieurs utilisateurs sur la plateforme, y compris certains d'entre nous ici à The Verge, ont reçu une notification en ouvrant l'application indiquant que les appels audio et vidéo sont là. Il y a aussi un nouveau... Activez la bascule d'appels audio et vidéo dans les paramètres de l'application, qui dit que vous pouvez, je cite, « activer la fonctionnalité, puis sélectionner avec qui vous êtes à l'aise pour l'utiliser ». Il comprend des options pour autoriser les appels audio et vidéo uniquement des personnes dans votre carnet d'adresse, des personnes que vous suivez, des utilisateurs vérifiés ou les trois. Vous pouvez alors passer un appel en ouvrant un DM avec un autre utilisateur, en sélectionnant l'icône du téléphone dans le coin supérieur droit de l'écran et en choisissant l'appel audio ou vidéo. Dans une publication sur X, Elon Musk confirme le déploiement des appels audio et vidéo, ajoutant que c'est une version préliminaire de la fonction. Musk a souvent évoqué l'ajout d'appels audio et vidéo à la plateforme dans le cadre de ses objectifs pour en faire tout ce qu'il est. Application. Musk a récemment déclaré que la fonction serait disponible sur iOS, Android, Mac et PC avec station aucun numéro de téléphone nécessaire. Il n'est toujours pas clair à quel point X a lancé des appels audio et vidéo ou si les utilisateurs non premium peuvent l'utiliser. Le mois dernier, l'inventeur du hashtag et défenseur de l'open source Chris Messina. On a découvert que le code de X suggérait que les utilisateurs devraient s'inscrire à l'abonnement premium de X pour l'utiliser. X n'a pas immédiatement répondu à la demande de commentaires de The Verge. En fait, aujourd'hui, un regard sur le geste de double tap d'Apple qui est en cours de déploiement dans WatchOS 10.1 qui permet la série 9 et... Les utilisateurs de l'Apple Watch Ultra 2 peuvent interagir avec leur montre sans utiliser son écran tactile, essentiellement sans avoir besoin de la toucher du tout. Depuis la verge... Double Tap n'est conçu pour vous aider à naviguer. 
La meilleure façon de le décrire est que Assistive Touch est comme la souris de votre ordinateur. Il défile, il sélectionne et il est hautement programmable. Double tap et plus comme le double-cliquer sur la partie d'utilisation d'une souris. Vous l'utilisez uniquement pour effectuer l'action principale d'une application. Et pour ce faire, Apple a dû passer beaucoup de temps à rechercher ce que les gens voulaient ou s'attendaient à un double tap. Et quand Double Tap fonctionne comme prévu, on a un peu l'impression que la montre qui peut lire dans mes pensées. C'est vraiment cool de voir Double Tap travailler avec pas seulement mon index, mais le reste d'eux aussi. À ma grande surprise, cela semble moins gadget que je ne le pensais. Mais malgré les efforts d'Apple, il ne faut pas longtemps pour rencontrer les limites de Double Tap. Les commandes multimédia sont un bon exemple. Un double tap devrait-il mettre en pause ou jouer votre musique? Comment devrait-il vous permettre de passer à la piste suivante si vous êtes quelqu'un qui utilise votre montre intelligente? Pour contrôler la lecture sur les haut-parleurs intelligents, l'ancien a plus de sens. Si vous êtes un coureur et que la mauvaise chanson apparaît sur votre playlist, ce dernier est le plus utile. Je suis tombé sur cela dans divers scénarios, mais cela se passe être une des seules deux instances où vous pouvez choisir ce que double tap fait. Pour moi, j'ai réglé double étape pour passer à la prochaine piste. Ce manque de choix est également apparent dans les applications tierces. Mon application de courrier électronique me permet de double-cliquer pour commencer une réponse rapide à l'aide de Siri. Mais même en 2023, je ne dicte pas mes emails. Des applications comme Spotify et Pocket Cast ne fonctionnent pas non plus avec double tap. La plupart des applications tierces qui fonctionnent avec double tap vous permettent simplement de rejeter les notifications. C'est ça utile, mais toujours limitant. Avec WatchOS 10, les applications comme Fitness et Météo ont été repensées pour être plus consultables. Au lieu d'un long écran que vous parcourez sans fin, l'information est divisée en morceaux plus digestes. Vous faites toujours un défilé, mais il y en a moins. C'est super. Sauf que je veux souvent utiliser le double tap pour naviguer à travers les menus au lieu de la couronne numérique. Et je ne peux pas... Vous pouvez faire défiler le nouveau widget Smart Stack, mais si je veux sélectionner un widget et l'ouvrir, je dois toujours utiliser mon autre main. Si je veux sélectionner un widget, je peux le personnaliser pour faire ça, mais il ne sélectionne jamais que le widget du haut. Vous devez simplement faire confiance aux algorithmes d'Apple pour mettre en évidence le bon widget. La multitâche est un autre domaine dans lequel DoubleTap peut faire défaut si je le souhaite. Pour mettre en pause un minuteur, mais je me suis éloigné de cette application, je dois soit utiliser mon autre main, soit utiliser Siri. Sinon, je peux attendre que le minuteur sonne et utiliser le double tap pour arrêter le minuteur. Plus de personnalisation serait la réponse évidente ici, mais c'est une option dont Apple se méfiait pour cette première itération du double tap. Ne fonctionne pas toujours aussi bien, il y a des moments où l'action principale n'est pas ce que je veux faire. Ou de, finalement, ben, j'arrive à un point où je dois utiliser mon autre main. Dans, dans l'exemple ci-dessus, une fois que je demande à Siri d'ouvrir l'application, je peux avoir besoin de faire défiler avec la couronne numérique pour atteindre les informations dont j'ai besoin. Mais il n'est pas difficile d'imaginer de futures itérations de double tap qui peuvent à la fois faire défiler et sélectionner. Quelque chose qui n'est pas aussi complet qu'Assistive Touch, mais qui trouve un meilleur équilibre entre simplicité et personnalisabilité. Sans trop compter sur Apple pour essayer de comprendre ce que vous voulez faire, même maintenant, avec les limitations existantes de double tap, je peux faire plus en déplacement et sans mon téléphone. Je me retrouve à l'atteindre beaucoup moins, ou quand je le fais, c'est pour à des fins beaucoup plus intentionnelles, comme la lecture, les achats, ou regarder une vidéo. Les dernières semaines avec Double Tap ont été comme un aperçu d'un futur de montre intelligente indépendante des téléphones. Des appareils qui, au lieu de trier les notifications et les appels, les gèrent entièrement. Plusieurs d'entre vous m'ont demandé pourquoi je n'ai pas mentionné la fermeture de Pebble hier. Pebble est cette alternative à Twitter dans laquelle Ride Home Fund a investi plus tôt cette année quand il était connu sous le nom de Tether. Justine Natchin, chez Division Unique de l'Estuation. Vous savez, Pebble a manqué son coup. Ces choses peuvent arriver dans les startups et l'investissement. Tout le meilleur à l'équipe Pebble. Parle à toi demain.
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy. Like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welkom bij de Tech Meme Ride Home voor donderdag 26 oktober 2023. Ik ben Brian McCulloch. Vandaag meta-inkomsten van gisteren. Apple lijkt een volledige vernieuwing van de Airpods-assortiment. Spotify plant grote veranderingen in hoe het royalties afhandelt. X lanceert videogesprekken en audiogesprekken. En een kijkje op hoe deze nieuwe gebaarbesturing werkt op de Apple Watch. Hier is wat je vandaag gemist hebt in de wereld van technologie. Gistermiddag rapporteerde Meta dat de Q3-opbrengst met 23% is gestegen ten opzichte van vorig jaar. Naar 34,15 miljard dollar het netto-inkomen steeg met 160% ten opzichte van vorig jaar. Naar 11,50 miljard dollar. En de dagelijkse actieve mensen maatstaf voor de familie van apps was 7% hoger. Naar 3,14 miljard mensen, tenminste voor september 2023. Beleggers lijken hierover een beetje verdeeld te zijn. De aandelen van Meta handelden vanochtend in de voorbeurshandel iets lager. Misschien omdat dit kleine detail vermeld moet worden, bevinden de realiteitslabs van Meta waar al het VR en Metaverse werk woont. De omzet in het derde kwartaal is met 26% gedaald. 210 miljoen dollar versus bijna 300 miljoen dollar, wat geschat was. En operationele verliezen waren 2% hoger tot 3,74 miljard dollar tegenover een schatting van 3,9 miljard dollar. Dus zelfs als Suk niet meer de hele tijd over het Metaverse schreeuwt, investeert Meta daar nog steeds zwaar in. Nog een kleinigheidje op de conferentiegesprek zei Mark Zuckerberg dat Threads is geraakt. Citaat, net onder de 100 miljoen maandelijkse gebruikers sinds Instagram de app begin juli heeft uitgebracht volgens The Verge. Ik heb lang gedacht dat er een gespreksapp voor een miljard mensen zou moeten zijn die wat positiever is, zei Zuckerberg woensdag tijdens de oproep. Ik denk dat als we hier nog een paar jaar mee doorgaan, we, we een goede kans hebben om onze visie daar te realiseren. Met een CFO, Susan Lee, deelde ook wat optimisme, citaat. Threads blijft ook op lange termijn een aantrekkelijke kans en we zijn enthousiast om voor te bouwen op het sterke product momentum dat we hebben voor volgend jaar, zei ze tijdens het gesprek. In een Threads-post op woensdag zei Instagram-hoofd Adam Mosseri dat quote... Ik hoop dat we ondersteuning kunnen krijgen voor Europa. Vroege Fediverse voortgang, betere Instagram integraties en trends in de komende maanden te plannen. Als onderdeel van het derde kwartaalresultaat zei Meta dat het 34 miljard dollar aan inkomsten heeft. Een stijging van 23% ten opzichte van hetzelfde kwartaal vorig jaar. Het verbrandt echter nog steeds geld met zijn Reality Labs divisie. Het bedrijf verwacht dat zijn operationele verliezen daar quote betekenisvol jaar na jaar eind quote zullen toenemen. 
Volgens bronnen van Mark Gurman plant Apple een volledige vernieuwing van zijn AirPods-lijn. Het uitbrengen van AirPods Max en twee vernieuwde vierde generatie AirPods met USB-C in 2024. En AirPods Pro met een nieuwe chip en een nieuw design in 2025, citerend Bloomberg. De veranderingen zullen een vernieuwde versie van Apples instapniveau AirPods in 2024 en een nieuw Pro-model het volgende jaar omvatten, volgens mensen die bekend zijn met het plan. Het bedrijf werkt het ontwerp van de oortelefoon van het product, het uiterlijk van de hoesjes en de geluidskwaliteit bij. De nieuwe versie van de AirPods Max koptelefoons komt ook in 2024, zeiden de mensen die niet geïdentificeerd wilden worden omdat de informatie privé is. De drie generatie AirPods heeft niet bijzonder goed verkocht voor Apple. Veel kopers kiezen er ofwel voor om geld te besparen en de tweede generatie versie te kopen of de drieën. Ze gaan voor het high-end model dat wordt geleverd met ruisonderdrukking. Het middenniveau product biedt niet veel meer dan het model van 129 euro. Dus sommige consumenten zien geen reden om de extra 40 euro te betalen. Met dat in gedachten plant Apple om zowel de tweede als de derde generatie AirPods volgend jaar uit te feseren volgens de mensen die bekend zijn met de materie. Vervangen door twee vierde generatie AirPods die vergelijkbaar geprijsd zijn met de huidige versies. Maar zijn meer gedifferentieerd. De twee modellen zullen een nieuw ontwerp hebben dat lijkt op een mix van de derde generatie AirPods en het Pro model. Ze zullen beide korte stelen hebben, het deel dat uit het oor van een gebruiker hangt. Apple zal de twee opties onderscheiden door ruisonderdrukking in de duurdere versie op te nemen. Dat model krijgt ook een bijgewerkte oplaadcassette die speakers bevat voor Find My waarschuwingen overeenkomend met de huidige AirPods Pro. Die waarschuwingen maken het voor gebruikers gemakkelijker om hun zaak te vinden als deze verloren gaat. Beide nieuwe goedkopere modellen zullen een verbeterde pas voor Bieden, maar het is onwaarschijnlijk dat een van beide vervangende tips zal bevatten, zoals de AirPods Pro. De vierde generatie AirPods zal ook overschakelen op USB-C voor hun oplaadcases, een verschuiving die begon met de AirPods Pro. Duitsland heeft dit jaar de bliksem uit zijn iPhones gehaald als onderdeel van een poging om te voldoen aan regelgeving van de Europese Unie. En zijn accessoires volgen hetzelfde pad. Apple plant aan het einde van volgend jaar een update voor de AirPods Max die ook zijn oplaadpoort naar USB-C verandert. De koptelefoons komen in nieuwe kleuren, maar zullen niet veel andere veranderingen zien. De AirPods Pro daarentegen worden naar verwachting in 2025 vernieuwd en krijgen een nieuw design en chip. En het bedrijf werkt aan gezondheidsfuncties voor dat apparaat gerelateerd aan horen. Ik wil er snel op wijzen dat Apple ook de maandelijkse Amerikaanse prijs heeft verhoogd. Van Apple TV Plus van 6,99 per maand naar 9,99 ook. News Plus gaat van 9,99 per maand naar 12,99. Arcade gaat van 4,99 per maand naar 6,99. En Apple heeft gewonnen. Van 16,95 tot 19,95, citerend Mark Geruchten. De prijsverhogingen gaan onmiddellijk in voor nieuwe abonnees en over 30 dagen vanaf vandaag voor bestaande abonnees op hun volgende verlengingsdatum na die respijtperiode. Apple zou e-mails moeten sturen naar bestaande abonnees om hen te informeren over de veranderingen in de loop van de tijd, zoals het deed na prijsverhogingen voor sommige diensten vorig jaar. In de VS zijn dit de eerste prijsverhogingen ooit voor Apple Arcade en Apple News Plus sinds de diensten gelanceerd werden in november 2019. Terwijl Apple TV Plus zijn eerste prijsverhoging had van 4,99 dollar per maand naar 6,9 dollar per maand in oktober 2022. In een verklaring gedeeld met MacRumors zei Apple, het is citaat, gericht op het leveren van de best mogelijke ervaringen voor onze klanten door consequent hoogwaardige entertainment inhoud en innovatieve functies aan onze diensten toe te voegen. Er zijn vandaag geen prijsverhogingen voor Apple Music en Apple Fitness Plus. 
Bronnen zeggen dat Spotify grote veranderingen plant in zijn royalty model. Het eerste kwartaal van volgend jaar, inclusief een nieuwe drempel van minimumjaarlijkse streams, voordat een track begint met het genereren van royalties, Citern Music Business World. Spotify bespreekt de details van zijn blauwdruk voor het nieuwe royalty model met verschillende muziekrechthouders in de afgelopen weken. Bronnen die bij die gesprekken betrokken waren, hebben dit nu bevestigd aan MBW, dat hoewel Spotify doorgaat met zijn ProRata royalty systeem, ook bekend als stream Share, het van plan is om drie specifieke grote veranderingen in zijn model aan te brengen. Zoals een bron het stelde, is Spotify van plan deze veranderingen uit te voeren in een poging om, citaat, bestrijd drie afvoeren in de royalty pool die momenteel allemaal voorkomen dat geld bij werkende artiesten komt. MBW heeft bevestigd dat vanaf het eerste kwartaal van 2024... Elk nummer op Spotify onder de nieuwe plannen van de DSP zal een minimum aantal jaarlijkse streams moeten bereiken voordat het royalties begint te genereren. Onze bronnen wilden niet het exacte aantal streams aangeven dat deze drempel zal bepalen. Maar een bron die betrokken was bij recente gesprekken vertelde ons dat de stap is ontworpen om een populatie van nummers te demonetiseren die vandaag de dag gemiddeld minder dan 5 cent per maand verdienen. Wat uh, economie op de achterkant van een servet? Industriebronnen suggereren dat elke afspeler op Spotify in de VS qua opgenomen muziek royalties momenteel ergens rond de 1,5 miljard dollar genereert. 0,003 USD per maand. Dit zou suggereren dat voor deze nummers om 5 cent per maand aan royalties te genereren, ze 17 keer per maand of ongeveer 200 keer per jaar gespeeld zouden moeten worden. Spotify zegt dat tracks die momenteel 99,5% van de streamdelen vertegenwoordigen, zal blijven monetariseren na deze veranderingen bevestigde een goed geplaatste bron. Dus waarom richt Spotify zich specifiek op een relatief klein deel van de nummers op zijn service die zijn zeer lage populariteit en zeer lage inkomsten genererend, omdat wanneer je praat over een industrie waar 100.000 tracks of meer worden dagelijks geüpload naar streaming platforms. Het bedrag dat wordt uitbetaald aan deze nummers resulteert cumulatief in een aanzienlijke som. In totaal genereren de nummers die Spotify hier op het oog heeft royalties die oplopen tot tientallen miljoenen dollars per jaar. En dat aantal groeit alleen maar, vertelde een bron aan MBW. Volgend jaar zonder deze actie te ondernemen denkt Spotify dat ze ongeveer 40 miljoen dollar zouden hebben gegenereerd. Waarschuwing dat X is begonnen met het uitrollen van audio- en videogesprekken naar sommige gebruikers met opties om te selecteren met wie je het prettig vindt om het te gebruiken. Schakel de functie volledig uit. Ik zeg waarschuwing omdat je misschien wilt controleren of het uitgeschakeld is als je het niet wilt gebruiken. Citeren van de round. Verschillende gebruikers op het platform, waaronder sommigen van ons hier bij The Verge, hebben een melding ontvangen bij het openen van de app met de mededeling... Audio- en videogesprekken zijn hier. Er is ook een nieuwe schakelde audio- en videogesprekfunctie in binnen de app-instellingen... die zegt dat je, citaat, de functie kan aanzetten... en dan selecteren met wie je het comfortabel vindt om te gebruiken. Het bevat opties om audio- en videogesprekken toe te staan... van alleen mensen in je adresboek, mensen die je volgt... geverifieerde gebruikers of alle drie. U kunt dan een oproep doen door een DM te openen met een andere gebruiker... het telefoonpictogram in de rechterbovenhoek van het scherm te selecteren... en audio- of videogesprek te kiezen. In een bericht op X bevestigt Elon Musk de uitrol van audio- en videogesprekken... Gesprekken, toevoegend dat het een vroege versie van de functie is. Musk heeft er lang op gehind om audio- en videogesprekken toe te voegen aan het platform als onderdeel van zijn doelen om het alles te maken. App Musk zei onlangs dat de functie beschikbaar zou zijn op iOS, Android, Mac en PC met, citaat, geen telefoonnummer nodig. Het is nog steeds niet duidelijk hoe breed X audio- en videogesprekken heeft gelanceerd of als niet-premium gebruikers het kunnen gebruiken. Vorige maand hashtag uitvinder en open source voorstander Chris Messina. Tina ontdekte dat de code van X suggereerde dat gebruikers zich zouden moeten aanmelden voor het premium abonnement van X om het te gebruiken. X reageerde niet onmiddellijk op het verzoek om commentaar van The Verge. 
Ten slotte vandaag een kijkje naar Apples dubbeltikgebaar. Dat wordt uitgerold in WatchOS 10.1. Wat serie 9 en Apple Watch Ultra 2 gebruikers om met hun horloge te communiceren zonder het touchscreen te gebruiken. Eigenlijk zonder het überhaupt aan te hoeven raken. Van de rand. DoubleTap is niet ontworpen om je te helpen navigeren. De beste manier waarop ik het kan beschrijven is dat Assistive Touch als de muis voor je computer is. Het scrolt, het selecteert en het is zeer programmeerbaar. DoubleTap is meer als de dubbelklik gedeelte van het gebruik van een muis. Je gebruikt het uitsluitend om de hoofdactie van een app uit te voeren. En om dat te doen moest Apple veel tijd besteden aan het onderzoeken wat mensen wilden of verwachten dat een enkele dubbele tik zou doen. En wanneer DoubleTap presteert zoals bedoeld voelt het een beetje alsof het horloge mijn gedachten kan lezen. Het is echt cool om te zien hoe DoubleTap werkt met niet alleen mijn wijsvinger, maar ook de rest van hen. Tot mijn verbazing voelt het minder gimmicky dan ik verwachtte. Maar ondanks de inspanningen van Apple duurt het niet lang om tegen de beperkingen van DoubleTap aan te lopen. Mediabedieningselementen zijn een goed voorbeeld. Een dubbele tik zou je muziek moeten pauzeren of afspelen. Of moet het je toestaan om naar het volgende nummer te gaan als je iemand bent die je smartwatch gebruikt? Om de weergave op slimme luidsprekers te regelen is het voormalige logischer. Als je een hardloper bent en het verkeerde nummer verschijnt in je afspeellijst, het laatste is nuttiger. Ik ben dit in verschillende scenario's tegengekomen, maar dit is een van de, de slechts twee gevallen waarin je kunt kiezen wat double tap doet. Voor mij heb ik double tap ingesteld om naar het volgende nummer te springen. Dat gebrek aan keuze is ook duidelijk in apps van derde. Mijn e-mail app laat me dubbelklikken om een snelle reactie te starten met Siri. Maar zelfs in 2023 dicteer ik mijn e-mails niet. Apps zoals Spotify en Pocketcasts werken ook niet met dubbeltikken. De meeste apps van derden die werken met dubbeltikken laten je gewoon meldingen negeren. Dat is... Het is handig, maar nog steeds beperkt. Met WatchOS 10 zijn apps zoals Fitness en weer opnieuw ontworpen om meer vluchtig te zijn. In plaats van één lang scherm waar je eindeloos doorheen scrolt, is informatie verdeeld in meer verteerbare brokken. Je scrolt nog steeds, maar er is minder ervan. Dit is geweldig, behalve dat ik vaak dubbel wil tikken om door menu's te navigeren in plaats van de digitale. En ik kan niet... Je kunt scrollen door de nieuwe widget smart stack, maar als ik een widget wil selecteren en openen, moet ik nog steeds mijn andere hand gebruiken. Als ik een widget wil selecteren, dan kan ik het aanpassen om dat te doen, maar het selecteert alleen ooit de bovenste widget. Je hoeft alleen maar te vertrouwen dat Apples algoritmen de juiste widget naar voren zullen brengen. Multitasking is een ander gebied waar DoubleTap tekort kan schieten als ik dat wil. Om een timer te pauzeren, maar ik ben weggenavigeerd van die app, moet ik mijn andere hand gebruiken of Siri gebruiken. Anders kan ik wachten tot de timer afgaat en dubbeltikken om de timer te beëindigen. Meer maatwerk zou hier het voor de hand liggende antwoord zijn, maar dat is iets waar Apple terughoudend in was voor deze eerste iteratie van dubbeltikken. Het werkt niet altijd zo naadloos. Er zijn momenten waarop de primaire actie niet is wat ik wil doen. Of uiteindelijk kom ik op het punt waar ik mijn andere hand moet gebruiken. In het bovenstaande voorbeeld, als ik Siri vraag om de app te openen, dan moet ik misschien scrollen met de digitale kroon om de informatie te bereiken die ik nodig heb. Maar het is niet moeilijk om toekomstige iteraties van dubbeltikken voor te stellen die zowel kunnen scrollen als selecteren. Iets dat niet zo uitgebreid is als assistive touch, maar een beter evenwicht vindt tussen eenvoud en aanpasbaarheid. Zonder te veel te vertrouwen op Apple die probeert te achterhalen wat je wilt doen. Zelfs nu met de bestaande beperkingen van DoubleTap kan ik meer doen... Onderweg en zonder mijn telefoon. Ik merk dat ik er veel minder naar grijp. Of als ik dat doe is het voor veel meer doelbewuste doeleinden. Zoals lezen, winkelen of het kijken naar een video. De afgelopen weken met DoubleTap voelde als een blik in een smartwatch toekomst. Die onafhankelijk is van telefoons. Apparaten die in plaats van het triëren van meldingen en oproepen. Handel ze volledig.
verschillende van jullie vroegen me waarom ik gisteren niet heb genoemd dat Pebble gestopt is. Pebble is dat Twitter alternatief waarin Ride Home Fund heeft geïnvesteerd. Eerder dit jaar toen het bekend was als T2. Ik heb geen uniek inzicht in de situatie. Weet je, Pebble heeft zijn kans gemist. Dit soort dingen kunnen gebeuren bij start-ups en investeringen. Het beste voor het Pebble team. Tot morgen.